Memorial Day is a time to remember and to contemplate what America and its citizens have lost and gained. I mean, over the span of this nation's history, more than one million soldiers have lost their lives for the cause of freedom. We can put flowers on the graves. We can count the markers. We can adorn the spots with flags. But we can never count the lost dreams. We can never count the unfulfilled hopes or count the broken hearts that were caused by so many lives that were taken in the bloom of their youth. On this Memorial Day, coming up tomorrow, let those of us who live in a world of freedom, secured by the sacrifices of so many Americans and so many lives, take the time to remember them, to honor them, and to exercise with fervency the very rights for which they died. But we live in a wonderful country that does afford us tremendous freedom still. And as dark as the clouds of despair may seem at times that seem to waffle over our heads, the fact is, is that we still live in a great nation of hope and still given great opportunity to reach out to a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even as we remember those who gave their lives for our nation, we can't forget about the one who gave his life for our souls either. We talk about that word memorial again and It means that which preserves the memory of something. Anything that serves to keep in memory. A monument is a memorial of a deceased person or of an event. The Lord's Supper is a memorial of the death and the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And throughout the Bible, God has continued to emphasize the need of his people to rehearse and to remember the past in their minds and throughout their conversations. He instructs us to continually replay his mighty works, and to replay the many victories that we experience in our lives as believers because of Him. In our passage, the children of Israel have wandered for 40 years. I don't know about you, but when you consider the many millions of Israelites that there were and the wilderness wanderings of 40 years, and you begin to divide the number of people that were in the wilderness over that 40 years, I'm going to tell you something. There were a lot of funerals taking place. And for 40 years, there they traveled in the wilderness. There, for 40 years, they found no place to call home. For 40 years, they had no place to really lay their head to rest. For 40 years, they wandered in this wilderness. But now we find them entering into the promised land. We find them finally receiving and and experiencing what God had intended for them all along. What a wonderful thing it was as they crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Even as the Israelites 40 years earlier had crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. God has Joshua now choose out 12 men to gather these very large stones. And he, he tells them to gather them from the riverbed and to carry them now uh, into the camp. Why does he do that? For what reason does he do that? Well, in Joshua 4, 7, he tells us, Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. They're a memorial, these stones are. 
This memorial was erected for the very purpose of reminding not only that particular generation that was crossing into the promised land at that point, but also to remind future generations of this amazing, powerful, supernatural crossing. To remind them of the mighty hand of God that had carried them through the wilderness and now across this dry river Jordan into the promised land that he had promised. Every time an Israelite saw those stones, every time he gazed upon that memorial, he remembered that Jordan crossing. He remembered the mighty hand of God. He remembered the blessings that he and his people had received by the hand of God. A memorial. Even as the Israelites had those stones to remind them of the mighty hand of God upon them, we too have a memorial that reminds us of the love, the life, and the liberty that God has provided. And that memorial is the cross of Jesus Christ. In that cross, we can't help but note that love. And note the life and note the liberty that God has provided for each of us this morning. And today we're going to take just a few minutes and consider that. As we look at the cross today, we are reminded of it. It's a memorial. Boy, what a wonderful memorial it is and what a wonderful thing to remember. Let us take a moment and pray. And then I want to talk to you and consider this aspect of the love the life, and the liberty that God has provided for each of us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, for just the privilege that we have to gather today and, Lord, just to be a part of this service. Lord, it's obvious the devil has been fighting us this morning already. Lord, it's so, so clear that, Father, whatever is going to be said will be truly something that we need. Oh, God of heaven, may you now put a hedge of protection about each and every one of us. And, Lord, may you help us, Lord, just to, Father, be able to focus our attention on you and your word. And, Lord, may we leave here, Father, having received what you would have for us and having the imprint of the cross on our hearts and minds more so than ever. Lord, we desperately need you now. Change lives, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So we think about that cross as a memorial. It's... It represents so many things. But when we view the cross, we're reminded of the love God has provided for us. Every time we see that cross, we have to be reminded, we must be reminded, we can't help but be reminded of the love that God and the Lord Jesus Christ had for us. In the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16, you could probably quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What a wonderful passage that is. But it could be followed up with this particular passage in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Would you turn there, please? A very, very, very powerful passage of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Again, we are told in John three sixteen that God loved us that he gave his only begotten son. But I want you to note the sacrifice that his son, Jesus Christ, made. Notice 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, 
might be rich. Boy, the Lord Jesus Christ left heaven. I mean, he left glory to travel to this place called earth. I mean, he was the very creator according to Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And yet, the very creator left heaven and the very comfortable confines of that place to come to this earth and to walk the dusty trails of Galilee for you and I. Can you imagine being mocked and maligned and mistreated the way he was by his own creation? Can you imagine even toward the end there as they plucked his beard out, as they placed the crown of thorns upon his head? Can you imagine with me as they made fun of him and beat him to a pulp? I can't imagine taking the very creator, the God of heaven, and treating him with such, such brutality. Inconsiderate indeed was mankind to the most considerate that ever lived. Jesus Christ left heaven where he was rich, increased with goods, had need of nothing, literally, to come to this world, this earth, to be poor, so that through his poverty, you and I today can be rich. What he's really just simply saying is this. You would never, ever, ever be able to have anything worth having. And you would never enjoy the wonderful riches of glory if it wasn't for Jesus leaving the riches and becoming poor for you. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Boy, I'll tell you what, I'm so grateful to the Lord for that. But it is through this cross, and every time we see this cross, every time we view this cross, we are reminded of the love that God provided for us. Jesus left that glory to come to earth. In John chapter 10, verse 17 through 18, turn there if you would please. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. In John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, the Bible says, Therefore doth my Father love me, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking while on earth, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. Notice very carefully, he says, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I mean, there is a sense where we know the Roman soldiers nailed him to the cross. There is a sense where we understand and recognize that the, the people of God cried out, crucify him, crucify him. We understand that. But then there is also the reality that no one placed Jesus on that cross except Jesus himself. He willingly laid down his life. No one took his life from him. And when we talk about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God for us, every time we look at that cross and we remember that he laid his life down for us, willingly laid it down, we are reminded of his great love for us. Amen. He willingly laid down his life. And it says, for I lay down myself, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father we're so grateful today that the Lord Jesus Christ did indeed take that power. I mean, he used that power and he rose again. But boy, Jesus Christ loved us. And every time we look at that cross, it is a memorial. It is a remembrance. It is a reminder of the love of God toward us. Proverbs fifteen thirteen says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Boy, did Jesus lay down his life for you. And you say, well, I don't really know much about him. That's okay. He knew you. 
And he knew your great need and he knew how much you meant to him. And he said, for you, I will lay my life down. And he may allow the institution of government and he may have permitted the institution of religion to bring him to his demise. But the fact was that they themselves did not bring him to his demise in that regard. He used them as tools to ultimately place himself on Calvary where there he died for the sin of the world because he loved us so awfully much. So when we view the cross, we're reminded of the love God has provided for us. I'm telling you, if you've never been loved, I want you to know you are loved. He said, I've never been loved by a mom or dad. I've always been on my own. I've never known the love of a grandma or grandpa. I want you to know there's a God in heaven that loves you today. Number two, when we view the cross, we're reminded of the love God had provided, the life God has provided for us. Not only the love, but the life God's provided for us. In the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 23, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death. See, sin has a, a death grip on you and I. It has a death grip. I remember uh, being a wrestler years ago, and, and, and I wrestled quite a bit. Big time wrestling, of course. No, I'm teasing. But anyway, in school, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't be large enough for those guys. Man, six foot six, 300 pounders, all muscle. I mean, I'm only like 185, 190, well, a little more than that maybe now, all muscle, as long as I wear a suit jacket and button it up in the front. <laughs> I remember wrestling, I think I was in the 11th grade at the time, and we were just uh, practicing, and actually we were going through what was called a, a wrestle-offs. You had to wrestle to see who was going to actually be the guy who would wrestle for the team that week, and, and I was... Uh, uh, wrestling with this particular young fella, and we were going at it. I mean, it was just a tough-fought match, and he got me in a hold, and, and, and he didn't realize this, but he, had, he got me in a chokehold, basically, and, 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 and it, my arm had, you know, you try to block certain things, but somehow his arm got caught around my throat to the point where it was cutting off that artery that leads to the brain, and that's probably why I still have brain damage. But anyway, the, the fact is, is that I remember... I, kind of getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And, and I started seeing these little, you know, spots all over the place. And it's, more of it became darker and darker and darker. And finally, darkness. I got knocked out. Stranglehold. A stranglehold. I woke up with a headache you would not believe. Maybe you've been there before. I mean to tell you, it was a stranglehold. And it, it, it put me out for the count. And I want you to know that, that sin is a stranglehold on your life. Death is a strangle, has a stranglehold on you, and it's going to cause you to die. You're not going to escape that stranglehold. You're not going to somehow get victory over death in and of yourselves. That's not going to happen. Sin will, is, is the way, death is the wage of sin, and you're going to pay that wage. And not only physically will you die, but spiritually The Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So not only do we die physically, but the Bible goes on to say there's two deaths, one physical, one spiritual. And that spiritual death is to be eternally separated from God in a place called the lake of fire. That's the penalty of sin, death, death physically, death spiritually. Physical death brings separation from loved ones, family, and friends on this earth. Spiritual death brings separation from the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father himself. And the fact is, is that sin brings death. 
And so sin has a death grip on you and I. Just like that young man had a death grip on me. And boy, I'll tell you what, none of us are going to beat that. But this verse goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God, we have a gift that God once for us called eternal life, and it is made possible through Jesus Christ. Every time we look at that cross, yes, we recognize and we reminisce and we are reminded of the great love of God for us, but we're also reminded of the life that he gives us in Jesus Christ. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. There in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we read, And you hath he quickened. That word quickened means made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Well, I'll tell you what, again, like we said, sin has a stranglehold on us. But thank God today, he quickened us who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, by nature, notice that, the children of wrath. You know what he's saying? He says, by nature, all you had to look forward to was the wrath of God, the punishment of a holy, righteous creator. You being a sinner, me being a sinner, we were entitled to nothing but his wrath. That's all that we were entitled to. It was within. There was nothing you could do about it. If it is by nature, then there's, no, there's nothing you can do here on the outside. You can't just turn over a new leaf. You can't just simply change your ways. You can't just simply talk a different way or walk a different way or, or respond a different way. By nature, we were the children of wrath. Within, it was deep within. It was in the recesses of our heart. It was who we were, not just what we did that made us a sinner. And he goes on to say, among whom also we had our conversation, verse 3, in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God. (laughs) I love that. But God. Who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, By grace, you're saved. That word grace has to do with the fact of, we would say, simply unmerited favor. That's getting what we don't deserve. See, mercy is not getting what we do deserve, which is the wrath of God. But grace is getting what we don't deserve, which is, as we'll find, life. And life more abundant. Life with Jesus Christ. Forever in a place called heaven. And so he goes on to say, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Boy, what a wonderful truth we are to read here and to understand that this gift of eternal life, this fact that we were dead, but now we live today is a result, a direct result of Jesus alone. 
We think about a gift and we consider receiving a gift and the person who receives it obviously doesn't pay for it. As I tell people when I try to help folks understand the, the gospel and try to lead them to Jesus Christ, I'll say something to the effect of, well, you know, when you receive a gift, maybe at Christmas, you don't pull your wallet or your purse out and, and pay for it. You don't do that. Why? Because a gift by nature is something that you receive, you accept. You don't pay for it. You simply receive it. And in this case, the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life. Where once we were dead in our trespasses and sin, now he has life that he extends to us as a result of his marvelous grace and mercy. But hold on, just because I receive a gift and it might be cheap for me and it doesn't cost me a dime, it costs somebody. And may I say that 2,000 years ago when God sent his beloved only begotten son to this earth to die for you and I, it cost a great deal. And every time a sinner says, forgive me, Lord, save me, come into my life, be my Lord and Savior, I want you to know it costs something. It costs more than we can even imagine. It costs the very God of heaven leaving heaven and coming to earth and becoming robed in in flesh and enduring the suffering, the pain, and the agony of His creation. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And John 10.10, turn there if you would please. John chapter 10 verse 10. Every time we look at the cross, every time we view the cross, we are reminded of the love God has provided for us. And we were reminded of the life God has given. Notice what it says in John 10.10. Not only is that life eternal life, not only is it a life that supersedes our past sin and ultimately leads us to a place called heaven, but notice how it affects our present life. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. By the way, when you reject Jesus Christ or you choose not to receive the, the forgiveness of Christ, the grace and the mercy of God, let me tell you something. You are under the the direct leadership of a very horrible taskmaster. And his name is Satan. He is the thief here in the passage. And he cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. He wants nothing good for you. He simply wants to, 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 to steal everything good in your life. He wants to kill you and he wants to destroy you. And he wants to drag your soul right to hell. He's not your friend or buddy. And no matter how many wonderful gifts he promises you, as long as you'll walk in the flesh and live for him, it's not worth it. The thief cometh but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that they might have what? Let's say it together. I am come that they might have? That's right. And I'm going to tell you, he goes on to say, and that they might have it more abundantly even. Man, he said, I've come that you can live. I've come that you can have life and life more abundant. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of life I want. Now, you can try and find this wonderful life on your own by pursuing pleasure, prosperity, power, position, or popularity. 
You can try to find this wonderful life in relationships, relaxation, or even accomplishment. The pursuit of this wonderful life can, can, can be made by many avenues and many approaches, but none of those approaches and none of those avenues will land you where you truly want to be. This, this wonderful, this fulfilling, this satisfying life that you seek, that I seek, that every human being truly seeks is found in only one person, and that's Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. I am, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You're, you're barking up the wrong tree. You're going down the wrong path. You're pursuing the wrong interests. My friend, it's Jesus and him alone that can give you life. And every single time we see a cross in our pathway, it reminds us of the life that we possess in him. That he's provided for us. So we've seen here already that when we view the cross, this memorial, we're reminded of the love God has provided. We're also reminded of the life God has provided for us. And finally, when we view the cross, we're reminded of the liberty God has provided for us. The liberty. Liberty is freedom, and freedom is exactly what Christ offers you and I today. Freedom. Liberty. In John chapter 8, verse 36, he says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been a number of of financial advisors that say, listen, I'll tell you what, if you'll invest in this, you will be free in your old age to enjoy your life. Really? As volatile as the market is, we're not guaranteed tomorrow, not only for our life, but for our finances. Who are we kidding? Now, listen, you make wise investments, and by all means, you ought to do that. But there are no guarantees. And when someone says to you, listen, I'll tell you what, you will be free from, from the burdens that you, you would accept. If you'll just invest in this, then you'll be free to live your life and enjoy it the way you intended. Man, I'll tell you what, I wish I could believe that. Now, I want to believe that. But I would say this, you'll be free if. But you ain't free indeed. I mean, when Jesus steps up and Jesus says, listen, I'm going to tell you right now. If I, if I make you free, I'm telling you now, you're free indeed. You don't have to question it. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to hope that other things fall into place. My friend, you're free indeed. It's settled. It's over. It's done. Amen. Amen. We are free from the bondage of sin and Satan. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Turn there if you would, please. Tremendous, powerful passage. Romans chapter 6, one of the great chapters in all the Bible concerning the victory of the Christian life or how to get victory. It's one of those passages where in the singles class we're memorizing the book, uh, uh, the, 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 the chapter 6 of Romans this year. 
Well, tell you what, it's important that we understand and learn how to gain victory in our, our Christian life, how to get victory over the flesh. But notice in this case, Romans 6, verse 6 through 7, we're free from the bondage of sin and Satan. It says, knowing this, verse 6, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Boy, the picture is that of a person, if you will, and and say, now listen, here he is, he's dead. And we see that body stretched out there in that casket. And may I say, there's no, no sin taking place there. For he that's dead is freed from sin. He's not in a position now to to sin. He's not in a position to think evil thoughts. not in a position to go the wrong direction or take the wrong pathway. And it's saying to you and I today that when you trust Christ and you receive the Lord, then you who you used to be is dead. That old you is dead. You're now a new creature in Christ and you're raised to walk in newness of life. You have a new life that you now live. And you are free now from that sin. And you are free from the bondage and enslavement of sin. You don't have to sin anymore. Because you can have victory over that sin in Christ Jesus. He that's dead is freed from sin. But not only that, we're free from the power of the flesh. We touched on it just a moment ago here. And no longer held captive or enslaved by the tempter. Again, the fact is is that that we are, are free from the bondage of sin and Satan. But we're also free from the power of the flesh now. We don't have to be held captive by it. Or by the tempter himself. In Romans 6 again, verse 12 through 14, notice it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. So, so as a result of this being dead with Christ, as a result of, 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 of the flesh being crucified in a new creature, he says now, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye obey it in the lust thereof. He goes on to say, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace now. We are free. And that, we don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to be bound by that vice any longer. You don't have to be controlled by your lust. You don't have to allow the flesh to rule you any longer. We are free, and we are free indeed. We have liberty today. And that liberty ultimately lands us in a place here where we are now free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We're no longer bound to the flesh and sin. That Now we can do the right thing. We can live for Christ. We can have victory over the flesh. And we can honor and glorify the Lord in our actions and our lives. See, the cross stands as a memorial of the freedom that we possess in Jesus Christ. Free from the bondage of sin, the power of the flesh. And that makes us free to obey and serve the Master. Well, I'll tell you what, every time we, we see a cross... Every time we are pointed in its direction, every time we pass by that cross, I don't care if it's on the, the, around the neck of a lady or, or whether it's sitting on the side of the road or possibly on a church steeple. Let me tell you something. Wherever we see that cross, it is a memorial today. It is a reminder today. It's a reminder of the great love that God had for us, how he left heaven and came to earth and took our place on Calvary. It's a great reminder and a memorial of the life that is now ours in Christ Jesus. And there is no life outside of Christ, only life in Christ. And it is a memorial 
of the wonderful liberty that we now have, the freedom that we have, the opportunity that we have to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We're no longer bound by this flesh. We're no longer held captive by Satan. We are free to serve Jesus. God help us to remember those fallen soldiers come tomorrow who gave their lives for our country and our freedoms. But even more, may God help us to never forget the faithful Savior who suffered, bled, and died for the world that you and I may be free indeed. The cross, a memorial. I wonder today, as a believer, what do you see when you see the cross? What does it remind you of? And how often do you practice gazing upon it in that regard? But maybe today it's possible that you've not even taken advantage of the love that brought Jesus Christ to that cross. It's one thing to be loved. It's another thing to receive that love. Totally different. And I want you to know today, if you're in this crowd today without Christ, and there's never been a time, a place when you invited him into your life as Savior and Lord, I want you to know that he's looking to you saying, listen, I came to earth. I left heaven for you. I loved you so much that I left the glories and the riches of heaven to become poor, to be maligned, mistreated, and to be horribly traumatized, if you will. No one's been treated like Jesus. And I did it all for you, he says, because I loved you so much, because I knew there was no way that you could get to me, to heaven, on your own. I had to come and pay the price for you. Will you let me pay that price today? And then every time you look at that cross, you'll be reminded of his great love again. Once you make that decision, every time you see that cross, you'll be reminded of the life that you now have, where once you were dead, now you live eternally. And that life that you now have can be more abundant. And every time you see that cross, you'll remember the freedom that you now have to serve the one who gave his life for you. Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you without exception confident that salvation is yours and that forgiveness is yours and that Jesus Christ is yours? Because if not, you can settle that today. There are precious promises in his blessed book that point us to Jesus and to the cross and to the sacrifice that he made and reveal to us how we can have that sacrifice applied to our life, how our sin can be washed away, how our guilt can be forever forgotten and how our shame can be cast away. Won't you let someone take a moment here in just a few moments and show you those promises and you too can have liberty today, freedom in Christ Jesus like you've never known before. If you're a child of God, how will you view the cross? How do you view the cross? And May we be more apt to see him there and understand the price that he paid. Boy, the cross, a memorial.
Father, we come to you.